My name is John. I am a compulsive eater. Hi, i got some stuff I'm going to read a little later. Um, I want to start by, by thanking Alex for asking me to speak. I, this, this kind of thing is a real honor. Um, I, um, I don't know about all the stuff she said about me up front. I know that I, I joke with people that there's two things I think I'm really an expert in. One is, is stand-up comedy and writing, because that's what I did for a long time. And the other is com- the disease of compulsive overeating. Um, the second one, not because I'm so much smarter than you, but I have managed to fall into every pitfall and screw it up every possible way there is over the 25 years I've been in program. And if nothing else, I, I do learn from my mistakes. I then move on to the next mistake and the next mistake <laughs> and the next mistake. But that, to me, is a lot about what this disease is about. Um, just to give you some numbers to get them out of the way, and I forgot my pictures. I was going to bring the pictures and I came up with somebody else's car. Um, I have... Uh, in October, I will have been in program for 25 years. I uh, am also will have to be sober in AA for 25 years. I have about nine years of abstinence. I'll talk a little bit about that a little later. And I'm down a little over 100 pounds from where I was at my top weight, which was actually right about the time I stopped drinking. Uh, and all of that is absolutely as useless as... I have to do this exactly the same way the person who's at their first meeting today does it. it you, you don't get any, um, you know, you, you can't build up any uh, points for yourself. Um, you know, when Alice was telling me about the concept of spring cleaning, you know, um, I, you know you, I don't know about you, but if you've been around program for a while, well, the first thing that you start thinking of is, Okay, like the fourth and fifth step, and the eighth and ninth step, and and those are you know, and or you know I've heard it said that you know steps one through three are the give up steps, four through nine are the clean up steps, and ten, eleven, twelve are the keep up steps. But the more I got thinking about it, and the more I said, well, you know, the, all the steps encapsulated are cleaning. You know, they are cleaning out. You know, we are wounded, and part of if anybody's a nurse. You've got to clean the wound down before you can you can sew it up and, and get better, and that's what I think this this whole thing's all about. And um, you know, when I first came to program, I'm sure I'm like everybody else. All I wanted to do was lose the weight, learn how to keep it off, because I all my life I've been I was on every diet that ever existed, and of course every one of them every one of them worked for the first time, you know, and then it didn't work, because that's what this, you know, the history of my thing is. I'm not going to go through a long talk about myself today, because I want to talk about program. Um, If all you do is put the food down, I think it's like putting the car in neutral, you know. Yeah, you're not, the car's not running people over anymore, but it doesn't take much to knock that car into gear and you're off again, and that's where the steps are there to help work through so that if you think of the steps as, okay, now you're not only putting the car in park, you're turning it off, you're opening the hood, you're dismantling the engine, you can make sure it doesn't start again. Um, and even then, there's no guarantees about that. Um, the thing that's so, that I don't think it's said enough around here is, is this. This is a hard disease to deal with. I don't mean to, to be daunting to any newcomer, and I'm not trying to dissuade anybody, and it's certainly the more you do it, the better, the easier it gets, but there still can be days, no matter how much time you have in the program, where you want to open that refrigerator and stop in the upper left corner and work your way down the lower right corner, and and that doesn't will not go away. The space between it, I think, goes away for the most part, and there are many, many days where I am given the grace of not having that, but that's not to say it doesn't happen. The other thing that I'll just say about it is that I'm also a recovering alcoholic, 
And I believe this is infinitely harder. Okay? I said it was, it was hard. It took me a full year plus to get really sober in AA. But I think it was ten times easier to get sober in AA than it was to get abstinent. But it's a thousand times easier to stay sober than to stay abstinent. Because I, I was a stand-up comic and I was in clubs every night for a good 15 years with guys standing there with a drink under my nose telling me a bad joke at the end of the show. And I didn't have any urge to drink. But I've had abstinent meals where when I was done, if I wasn't in a particularly fit spiritual condition, I didn't want to keep going, you know. And the only thing is that it's so societally acceptable as opposed to alcohol, you know. You know, I, to this day, I can, go, I can go to a party. And somebody will, uh, the host who doesn't know me will come up and go, can I get you a drink? Oh, gee, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. They fall all over themselves. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know? <laughs> and uh, an hour later, they come up and offer me a piece of cake, and I say, I'm sorry, I'm also a compulsive overeater. <laughs> oh, go ahead. You can have one. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, don't worry about that. <laughs> they don't get it. And this happens in, in front of my friends from AA don't get it either. They just don't get it. And the fact is that we are addicted to a substance we have to take in our body a certain amount of times a day. And if you really think of it that way, you can understand why there are days it's hard. This isn't easy. You know, I, I kid my friends in AA. I say, try having a shot of Jack Daniels for breakfast, a shot of Jack Daniels for lunch, and a shot of Jack Daniels for dinner, and that's your sobriety. See how long you hold that sobriety, and you'll understand why the numbers long-term aren't as good in OA as AA, because it is hard. And, and that's not, again, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody to, to think that it, it's always that hard. The more you do it, the easier it gets. I went through a period of a couple of years where I was just slipping and sliding, slipping and sliding. And I finally had a sponsor say to me one day, you know, John, you're going through the hardest part over and over and over again because you get just a bit of time and you lose it. He said, think of it like you've you, you got a stalled car and you get to pushing it. You know how hard it is when you first start pushing it, but after you get going a little while, it goes. Well, just about the time you get it to where it's easy to push, you let it roll to a stop, and then you do it all again. And I, and I did that over and over. And it's the part of this disease that's so hard. Um, the other thing that makes this disease very hard is that it, it is so subtle, it is so slow, and if you're a really smart person, and I find most people in OA are way above intelligence, you can play all kinds of games with your head and keep moving the goalposts and changing and making accommodations in your head and uh, looking in the mirror from here up, and only seeing that, and you know, and and it's very hard. I, I had a friend who was a friend and a sponsee. By the way, I'll just say this: I have I've had sponsees in AA, and I've had sponsees in OA. I buried two sponsees in OA, not in AA. I, you know, and this one sponsee I had back in Connecticut, Jim B. He was me exactly. He had my brain. He had my my sarcastic thing, my cynical, funny, humorous brain, and. But he had never had the alcohol, okay? And, uh, and he was 500 and something pounds. And I mm -hmm. said to him, I said, Jim, the only difference between you and me is I had the alcohol. I went into that. It was like I went from being a compulsive eater as a kid to finding alcohol and then, and then doing that for a while and then doing the both of them together and then getting sober and then eventually getting abstinent. I said, Jim, the great gift I had was I was given the gift of alcoholism because I saw where I had to get to mentally and what the surrender had to be. And I didn't have a choice in AA. If there's one good thing to be said about alcohol and drugs, it takes you and slams you face down into the sidewalk and then picks up your head and says, get it? <laughs> you know, and if you have any kind of brain, you go, okay, I, I'm, I'm having problems here and I can get it. With food, though, it's so subtle and it moves so slowly. Jim was 565 pounds, and I said, Jim, if I told you in college when you were 200 that you were going to be 565, you'd tell me I'm nuts. 
because you couldn't imagine that. But 200 to 225, 225 to 250, 250 to 275, and so on. And I know I was on that path myself. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying, you know, there's this whole thing of, in science where they say if you take a frog and, and you take a live frog and you bring it toward a pot of boiling water, the frog senses as it's getting close that that's boiling water and it's doing whatever it can to get away. But you can take that same frog and put it in a pan of room temperature water and slowly bring it up to a boil. The frog will never jump out. It'll die there in the pot. And that, in a lot of ways, that is what this disease is like because you play the games. You mentally make these things. And you watch on, you watch on these shows where these people are 1,000 pounds and they haven't left the house in five years. They didn't start out that way. They didn't go from this way to there. There was a pathway that somewhere somebody could have interceded, and made, or not, they could have interceded. If God had wanted them to, would have had it, but they didn't. They were not lucky as, as we are to have found this in, in some ways. Um, the other thing, it took me a good 15 years to get the concept that this is a disease. I would hear it, I would, me- I, would, I would mirror the words, you say it's a disease, I would say, somewhere in the back of my head, my little intellectual snob said, well, if you folks want to call it a disease and it makes you feel better, <laughs> okay, but I couldn't see it. And it took a long time to really get, this is a disease, okay? Yes, we don't know right now if it's organic. You're finding out so much more year in and year out. If you read in the big book, it talks about how alcoholics reach a point where they used to be able to drink and all of a sudden they hit a point where they can't drink anymore. They've now found the scientific proof for that, that there's an enzyme that burns out in the body. And I believe a lot of this stuff will have scientific basis as we understand more. But I believe it's a disease. And even if it isn't biological, it is certainly psychological. And the two things that I see that help me understand it as a disease is, first of all, I don't know about you, not, nobody I've ever met in, o, in OA wanted this. <laughs> you know, I want to have to think about my food a day at a time for the rest of my life. I want to have to have to treat it differently. No, I didn't ask for this. You didn't ask for this. The other thing is, there is such a set of quantifiable symptoms that goes across all socioeconomic things. You know, I, I can go to this Serenity any Sunday, hear a lady get up from Bel Air who's living in a mansion, and, she, and the next week, I'll hear somebody from Compton, and it's the same story. Okay, yeah, the, the, the little things are plugged in and out, but it's the same story. The demoralization, the constantly trying to get it, and, and just the spiritual bereftness and all of this, it's the same thing. And I, it really started to sink in, this is a disease. You know, um, in the L.A. area, they're running, they're running this one rehab, is running pictures of Chris Farley, and it says it wasn't his fault. You know, it wasn't his fault. He had a disease. He didn't know how to treat it. And it really is true. And if I can get sometimes the ability of me to get out of that and realize this is a disease. I, you know, if I had cancer, I wouldn't sit here and feel guilty about having cancer. I would go take care of it. And that's what I have to do here. The hardest thing about this disease is teasing the disease away from the person. Because sometimes having sponsors can be very frustrating. But I realize their disease is acting up. It isn't them. They desperately want this. I mean, I can give you a perfect example of the disease in me nine years ago. I'm going to meetings around the clock. By the way, when I say I've been going for 25 years, I go to at least three meetings a week pretty much for all those 25 years. It isn't like I, I sort of came in for a while and left and came back. I go to at least three meetings a week. I've done what they told me. When I first came in, AA, they told me, come early, stay late, take a service position, sit in the front so nobody you know, gets in the way of you. And these are all things that really imprinted in me and I, and I still believe in. Um, but I, would, I was going to meetings. I'm, I'm, I'm sponsoring. I have a sponsor. I've got, I'm a delegate. If you're in a group, I'm leading the artist and abstinence meeting and I'm leaving the meeting and I'm going to the donut shop on the way home. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm driving away from the donut shop going, what the hell am I doing? I mean, if I, you know, I'm not sentenced to OA. You know, in AA, sometimes you get sentenced and you have that court cards filled up. Nobody sentences any of us to OA if we don't want to go. Mind you, <laughs> you know? But here I am, on one hand I'm doing that, and on the other I'm stopping in the donut shop. And I think that's when I started to really get, this is a disease. Uh, the real me doesn't want to eat. But when my disease talks to me, it does the perfect John impression. <laughs> it sounds just like me. It, you know, it's not that I have voices in my head, but we all have. We drive down the street, we say, okay, I've got to take a left here, I've got to take a right here, oh, I've got to go into 7-Eleven and buy all the Ben and Jerry's. That last one is the one that, hmm, this, something sounds wrong there, you know? But it sounds just like all the other stuff, and that's why it's so hard to tease your disease away from yourself and to say, no, that's the disease. And it's what makes this, and I want to talk about the disease a little before I get into step, only because it helps to understand a little. It doesn't help me stay abstinent. Knowledge, all this stuff doesn't help me one bit to stay abstinent, but it helps me understand that how my disease talks to me a little better, so that when it talks, I can sometimes catch that it's the disease. It keeps trying to change the voice so that I don't catch it, you know. I, I said my disease is like the world's greatest salesman. If you can imagine a salesman who's just great, he's going to do whatever he needs to to get his foot in the door. Now, if you go to a lot of meetings, he, he knows better than to come up and go, hey, go to 7-Eleven, let's go binge, because you're going to go, no. <laughs> but he'll keep backing it up till he finds the place where he can get a yes out of you as a salesman. Like, he'll get to the point, you know, you, you go to so many meetings. <laughs> you know, that'll be the first thing. Because he knows if he can get you on that path, it, the disease will eventually take you out. And, and, and helps to understand that. And the other thing about this disease that's so bad is it's the world's greatest salesman that can read your mind. He'll have the answers whatever you're going to say because his answer is, but you really need to go eat that or you need to eat more. And after it's done it, it convinces you it was your idea. And that's why you sit there and you feel guilty. And that's why you have trouble. For me, I have trouble seeing. No, that's my disease talking. Because, you know, I'm, the, I'm going to meetings and going to meetings. I want a donut. No, the disease wanted a donut. I couldn't break those two apart then. And it really helped the more I worked with some people and some sponsors to understand that's the thing. If you can see the disease as something outside you attacking you, that I know what I need to eat. It's healthy. It's good. It doesn't, for me, involve sugar. It doesn't involve table bread. Boy, that one hit me. I've just been dealing with that lately. Um, and that that's how the disease works. And it's so cunning, baffling, and powerful. 25 years in, I'll still find myself going, oh, I think this is something. And I, that's where you need all of what this program has. Um, I genuinely believe the 12-step programs uh, are, are God's gift to the... I heard somebody say once, it's God's gift to the 20th century uh, to find a way. If you think about it, there, you know, if you have any kind of belief in a higher power, most of us can agree that God's been around since before 1935. <laughs> well, people that were archbishops, were rabbis, were ministers, were dying of alcoholism up until 1935 without any hope for help. That... Somewhere along the way, my higher power brought down something in a mechanism that I can get better, but I can't just do it alone, you know. Um, I'm going to start talking about the steps. The first step for me, the concept of powerlessness, again, why this disease is so subtle for me, is, is there... You, we all say the powerless. We're powerless, we're powerless, we're powerless. I said it year in and year out, and I would go out and eat. 
I'm powerless. I'm going out and I'm powerless. I went out and ate again. Yeah, I'm powerless. Yeah, no, they're both powerless. I went out and ate. Well, I heard somebody say once, if you really believe you're powerless, take, take something you really believe you're powerless. Like most of us can agree we're powerless over a, a bullet and a gun. And you know how I know? Because none of us have ever put, taken a gun, put it to our head, and pulled the trigger. Because we know once we pull the trigger, that's it. You know, I can't say, oh, I'm just going to, you know, blow my brains out for the weekend, and I'll bring them back, and, uh, you know, everything will be okay on Monday. Um, but how many times did I go out? And I, I, had a, I had a sponsor have me do some writing on this once, that when I would go out, I never said, oh, the hell with OA, I'm gone, I'm not doing this anymore. It was always somewhere in the back of my head, when I'm done, I'll come back and get abstinent again. Well, what is the powerlessness in that for me? It wasn't there, and I, I had trouble seeing that for the longest time. The thing that makes this disease so cunning is the illusion of powerfulness it can give you. A lot of us have had slips, and a lot of us have come back from slips. And there's the illusion of powerfulness that I couldn't see. I would, I would mouth the words, I'm powerless, I'm powerless, but if I would keep going out and eating, how powerless did I really feel about it? The fact that I would constantly go out and I thought when I can do it and you know what here's, here's the, the great sort of delusion in me I can do that if I really put my mind to it and I really hunker down after all these years I know I can get a new sponsor I'll follow whatever that sponsor says I won't argue I'll go to meetings around the clock I'll, and I can get as obsessive with the not eating as eating eventually I can grind that train to a halt so in the small version of it I am powerful over it the trouble is, as soon as I've convinced myself of that, I'm setting up the next one. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Of in and out, and in and out. Because if I know I can pull my act together and get the weight under control again, I, I will always have that option. You know, when I first came in years ago, we sort of were hardline in the program. And you would hear, you'd hear people bang on the podium and go... Uh, we don't eat no matter what. We don't eat no matter what. And it, it certainly was, tr- it, it was certainly not, it was just how they said it. The body, you know. In fact, I think you actually had to pound on the podium. It was like, <laughs> um, but a couple of years ago, I heard somebody have a, her sponsor said it in such a nice, more loving, caring way. She said, if you're a compulsive eater and you have made food an option again, it'll always be the only option. It'll always be the path of least resistance. Because if you have a choice of pain or eating, who's going to want that choice? You know, who's going to take pain? Yet, we don't get that there is, a, there is more to it, you know. Um, like, like Cleo was saying earlier, or some of our Linda was, but, but you know, if you, if, you, um, if you have a problem and you eat, you have got two problems. But the other thing is there... If that were totally without, if there weren't any merits to eating, none of us, everybody would come in and get abstinent immediately, and that would be it. The fact is, is that we, at one point or another, had a little point of, let me just go away. I know it's not solving my problems, but I'm, I want to just sort of go away. But I don't know about you, but for me, year after year after year of being in this program, that little go away gets to be so minuscule and minute that now even when I think about going out, I'm feeling guilty before I go out. So at a certain point, I mean, the last, one of the last times I got into the food, I'm sitting there going, I'm miserable right now while I'm eating it. What the hell is this accomplishing? And it, at a certain point, it became just pure habit. I was desperate. I felt lousy. And like anybody, when you feel lousy, you want to feel better, and your brain is trying to search for it, and it sees this. Because at, at one point, I have to acknowledge, like somebody said earlier, 
Thank God food was there at one point in my life. It, it kept me sane. It kept me from killing myself. Because I, I was a child with two alcoholics. I grew up in a hellacious childhood. Thank God I had food. I made it long enough to get to the program. Um, but it long ago stopped working. But again, it does give you the illusion. So for me today, I've got to get, not that, not to say it's such a hard line that we don't eat no matter what, but that if I start again, where does it stop? Or does it become one of those month-on-month-off, month-on-month-off for years and years and years and years? Uh, I don't want that because it, it isn't just the food and it's not the weight. It's how I feel about myself. I know it's how my, it's not just self-esteem. I, I just, it's the coming baffling thing. And food ends up taking such a huge portion of my life that I don't get anything else done. You know, when I first came to AA, one of the wonderful pieces of hope an, an old-timer said is just, if you're an addict and you put down your stuff, you can do anything with the rest of your life. But if you're an addict and you're still doing your stuff, you're really going to spend most of your time trying to get more stuff. You know, and it's really true. Um, so the concept of powerfulness versus powerlessness is so hard because food can give you that illusion. And the next, the, one of the things it's about, and getting on to the second step about insanity, is it's such a specialized insanity it almost doesn't seem like insanity at the time. In other words, if, if, uh, if, I was, if it was a kind of insanity where, you know, I start talking in tongues or, I, you know, I end up wearing a tutu and walking down Main Street, I go, hey, man, I'm messed up. I better, I better be careful. But most of us are so functional in all the other parts of our lives that the concept that there's this one particular area I'm just nuts and I cannot trust myself is so hard. One of the things you hear in AA way more than you hear in OA is your own best thinking got you here. Your own best thinking, your best cognitive thoughts and how to to, to decide what to do about things is where you were when you walked in the first time miserable and demoralized. And what you've got to realize is that, you know, part of this is the decision making of the insane insane person and that you can't... um, you can't trust yourself, and that's why we all need each other. We, I can't go off in a room. I, I always joke, I said, you know, uh, I believe in this wonderful triumvirate that teaches the program of God, myself, and another human being. <laughs> because me and God will go into a closet and become convinced that chocolate is a vegetable. <laughs> you know? And I pray to God on this, and I, you know, and, you know, it's the great thing about this program. I believe in the hierarchy of a higher power, which is that there is a, a higher power but there's also a program and there are sponsors and there's people I can talk to and bounce ideas off of and all of that is what helps. Again, if I go into a closet and just pray to God, I'm, I don't know if it's God or my disease doing a God impression, you know, and, and it may, you know, oh, God told me I need to go eat Twinkies, you know, um, and I don't know. Because you see, part of this insanity of this disease more than anything else for me is its main tool for me is bullshit. <laughs> and I don't mean bullshit to my sponsor or bullshit to you. It's bullshit to myself, and I cannot see it. I can see it always after the fact, but I can't see it when I'm in the middle of it. And it's why I need I need a sponsor. And I need a sponsor. You know, I heard, uh, I had a, uh, uh, this newcomer, I was talking to her on the phone, and she, I said, have you gotten a sponsor yet? Which is what I ask every newcomer. And she goes, well, I, I'll just get one in about... Four or five months. <laughs> and she asks, well, why? I'm at why four months? Well, I want to find one that I'm, I feel so bad. I go, you need to find somebody who has what you want 
and ask them to be your sponsor. Don't look for the person who's going to mimic your style because that's not being open-minded. You've got to find somebody who has what you want and try new things because if you take it and you filter it through your own diseased brain, me, I, you know, I'll have a sponsor who's my clone and then I don't need a sponsor because I'm essentially sponsor myself. And that's where I think, again, getting the, the insanity and that there is a higher power who can help with that. But for me, it's the hierarchy. I'm a... I, I have got a real, and I'll talk about that in a second with the third step, but that I've got such a good feeling about a higher power now, and I really feel connected day in and day out. But I don't do this. I've never been one of these sort of woo-woo, spiritual talking people. It's, it's, it's in the practice for me. And, and I, I, I know, it, I mean, when, when it comes up, I'll talk about it, but it's that I really believe everything's happening exactly the way it's supposed to. When I came in, I guess we'll start talking about the third step a little is that I came in for, with a very dogmatic religion where, you know, I, the difference between God and Santa Claus was minuscule for me when I grew up. You know, because I got this list, God, and if you give me everything on this list, then I know you exist, you know. And it's insanity, you know. Um, the other thing is that one of the reasons I think the program works, and, it, and if you think about how an AA started, it was a bunch of gruff guys who were, had pulled themselves out of the gutter and there was no bullshit allowed in AA in the beginning. And what's happened over the years is the bottom has come up, which is wonderful. It's wonderful that people come in. I mean, I go to these AA meetings and there's 17, 8, I was in a meeting yesterday, 18-year-old girl. She's sober by 84 days, you know. Um, and I mean, I got sober at 20, 25, 26, but um, it's amazing that the bottom keeps coming up. But one of the good things about that rough thing is they, they believed in love, but it was sort of a... The phrase I've used occasionally is mommy love and daddy love, and it doesn't have to do with the sex of the person. There's a lady down in, a, in a L.A. named Pat Allen who, who talks about how most people have male and female energy. Mommy love is, oh, you're wonderful. Don't beat yourself up. Everything's great. Let's just pick yourself up. And, and that's fine, but my disease will hone in on that kind of love as, as a perfect excuse to keep doing things. I mean, I did that. Well, I'm not going to beat myself up. I ate last night. And I would say that four or five meetings in a row, you know, until somebody would go, dude, maybe it's time to start beating yourself up. <laughs> um, not that, that, that that's really what they meant, but the point is, is that what you hear more in AA is cut the crap. And it's not cut the crap from a nasty, negative meaning. It's said almost like father love. Cut the crap. I want to see you get better for the best of intentions, the love in my heart, but I'm not going to massage your disease. Uh, and they do a much better job with teasing the disease away from the person because, you know, they understand the disease will grab and entwine every synapse of your brain and that there's certain things that sometimes need to be said that aren't easy, especially for me. I'm a people pleaser. It's really hard for me sometimes to say to a sponsee things that I really need to say to them. And I've had to talk to... I, luckily, my sponsor helps me with that kind of thing and reminds me what a people pleaser I am, and it helps. Um... The concept of a higher power in the third step. Anybody who's new, the most wonderful thing happened to me when I came in. First of all, I was a stark raving atheist. I wanted nothing to do with you group of religious nuts. Uh, I had no idea. All I know is it was I saw God in places, and I didn't want anything to do with that. And 
In one of my first meetings I came to, it was in an AA clubhouse where they had these uh, window shade things with the steps and the traditions on them. And we were putting away chairs at the end, and this guy became my first sponsor. I'm, I'm arguing with this guy. You know, I don't have to be there, but I'm arguing. I, I can't be part of this religious program. He said, it's religious, it's spiritual. He said, oh, look at it, right there. God, 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 God. See it right there. <laughs> and he turned to me and he said the most brilliant thing anybody could have ever said to me. He says, okay, leave it out. And it's like one of those science fiction stories where you, you put the robot in a loop and they just sort of sit there and look at you. You give somebody like me with my kind of brain something that simple, I go, huh? <laughs> and what he said is, look, your disease is looking for any reason it can find to get out that door. Don't give it to it. That God is going to be the perfect reason to not go, to leave and say we're crazy. Don't worry. You don't ever have to believe in anything. Just keep coming back. And it was such a wonderful relief. Because if they had said to me, I've heard other people go, oh, just keep coming, you'll get it eventually. That wouldn't work for me, because I'm a paranoid son of a gun, and I went, oh, I see the cult's going to get me someday. And I would have not wanted to stay around in case it was going to get me, but I wouldn't have been able to keep my mind open. And luckily, by him saying that, I was able to keep my mind open just a little. The other thing my sponsor said to me really early was, here's the one thing you got to understand about God, kid. You ain't it. <laughs> and that was such a wonderful thing to hear. It wasn't that I psychotically thought I was God, but I took so much responsibility for things I didn't have to take responsibility for. You know, if, if there was all a wire here uh, going across here, and I came in, and then later somebody tripped on it, I thought, oh, I should have, I should have, I should have done something. You know, I took so much responsibility, and I don't have to anymore. I realize there is a higher power there. It's not me. My sponsees are going to, are God's going to decide whether my sponsees stay absent, God's going to decide if I stay absent. You know, my heart is going to understand everything, and it's not my job to do anything other than accept it, you know, and to get it. Um, another, another thing that happened was um, I had a sponsor who said, when I'm still going through this, he said, or same guy, he, he said, well, you know, because I, you know, I had such, so much dogma. You know, I come from a, a religion that's got this punitive God. It's it's a male God. I still have trouble with the male pronoun, okay? I don't come from a family history of good, kind, loving men, okay? So when I hear he, I have certain visualizations. But I've been able to understand now it's a placeholder. It's not a he. It's whatever I want to believe. But he said, okay, you have an idea. Of, if you're going to sit and design a guide, you have some idea? I said, well, that's my idea. He says, okay, why don't you go home and write on it? So I brought it back, and I read it, read it, him and stuff like, you know, that I think God would be a universal love. It would be, you know, and I'm reading this whole thing. And I get done. He goes, okay, there's your God. There's your higher power. No more argument. That's it. And I started to get that I choose what I want my higher power to be and how I want to interrelate with it. And I also understand from reading this book about what it says. And, and I just got done, we, I, there were, I was involved in what they call the Joe and Charlie Big Book Study, which you know is a, one of these long-term big book studies. And one of the things that came up was how arrogant it is for us to pray for things, for people, even help. You know, that I'm not God. All I can do is, God, do what you want for this person. Make that person, give that person what they're supposed to have. You know, I could be praying that, to keep my mother alive until she's 110, and it could turn out someday when we die, we get there, it's so wonderful, we go, oh God, I should have killed myself like in, you know, when I was 10. We don't know. We don't know and how arrogant it is for us to have a concept of what we're supposed to do. And the idea now of praying only for, and I'm getting ahead of myself, only for knowledge of His will for us, it's the, for me it's the key. You know, um, uh, one of the other things I've got, and it's in the, it's in the 12 and 12 of AA, and, and I'm digesting it, is 
I have always had so much trouble with the phrase, turn it over to God. I don't know about you. It, I, uh, what's that mean exactly? And what I heard it, in there somewhere, and it's, I'm digesting the words, but it says the key with the third step is mo- much less about turning your will over as just a, removing the obstruction of mm-hmm. self-will. It all of a sudden clicked where I could never get that to click anymore. And that, you know what? It's just about me getting out of the way and letting God's will happen. And it helps. You know, um, if you take this entire program and you boil it down, reduce it, and anybody who's been a cook, if you're eaters, you're probably probably cooks, <laughs> you talk about reduction. I think it comes down to surrendering prayer, accepting the things you cannot change, having the courage to change the things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, when it's all said and done, how, many, how much of my life have I spent outwardly focused on things I had no control over? I had a sponsor who said to me one day, grabbed the hand on the back of my, uh, the skin on the back of my hand, and he said, see this kid? Here it is, right there. That's the wisdom to know the difference. And I went, what do you mean? He says, skin in, everything you can change. Skin out, everything you can't change. And, and it was such a great idea. You know what? I can only take care of myself and how I respond to things. I don't have to do that. And there's a lot of peace that comes with that. And it's taken, it took me years for, to get some of that. Um, I'm going to jump, I'm jumping back. And when I first came into AA, I would watch these old timers. And, and, you know, I'm newly sober and there's drama every minute of every day. Newly sober people, I mean, even today I see newly, newly sober and newly absent people, it's just drama around the clock. And, and I see these old timers and they, they were just, uh, and the analogy I used is I said I felt like I was like one of those boats on, on a really bad waves and I'm bouncing up and down and up and down and I watch these old timers and they're going through the waves like, like, a, like a steamship. You know, boom, they're going through. They're not getting rocked. They're not getting anything. You're just going right through. And I said, man, I want to be like that someday where I just, you know, I go through and nothing. And, you know, I found myself, I was, saying, I was telling that story one day a couple of years ago, and I said, I realize I'm at that place now. Except now that I'm at that place, I see perspective differently. I'm, I'm that ship, but I'm made of mesh. I'm not plowing through those waves. The waves are plowing through me, and I'm just going with it. And it, the, the light sort of went off on that. Um, when we got to the inventory, I, I, I thought I was the biggest piece of crap on the face of the earth, and when I started working on my inventory, one of the things I got very early on, my, uh, I, by then my one sponsor moved away and I, I got a new one. He said some really important things. He said, John, the steps are in order. The steps are discreet. There's 12 of them, and you do them one at a time. Four, five is not a step. Eight, nine is not a step. He said, and, and, and he said, if you're doing these steps right, they should come nice and easy. And if they're not, back up and see what you didn't do right than the one before it. And it was really good. And he said to me, the fourth step is for you to get this stuff out for you to look at. Okay? He says, and you cannot do it with any eye toward who's going to look at it. Because you could start saying, well, I'm going to give this to this sponsor. But if you, if you do, you're going you're gonna to unconsciously sense it. He said, just write it out, and I'm not going to make you do anything with that until I start and we talk. And I did, and I was able to get out all the stuff. And there was so much garbage, and then I, I did ask him to, be my, to, to read my, you know, my fourth and fifth step. And I was just so depressed with how... Unordinary. I mean, ordinary I was. You know, I'm reading this horrendous... And he's like, oh, you think that's bad? Let me tell you what I did. And it's like, oh, gee, you know, here I am. I'm going to be the biggest piece of shit. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I love that. 
don't know if you've heard the slogan up here, the, the slogan about uh, we're the piece of shit the, the, the world revolves around. <laughs> That's me. I want to be at the top or I want to be at the bottom. In the middle or there you go. I don't want to do this. But that I really needed to work on... Um, I needed to work on that. And to this day, I mean, I, I have stripped away so many. When I look back at, at my daily character defects, they are really the, the top layers of what I had years and years ago. I, I still have a lot of trouble with control. Having grown up in an alcoholic family, I tend to want to control everything because knowledge is somehow power, and I get in everybody else's crap, and I, and I shouldn't, you know. One of the great things if you keep working is, is that I find myself so much less self-absorbed, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to, to be out of this head because it's not a good, <laughs> good area. Um... I, I've done a number of fourth and fifth steps, and I've done. I did one with a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I should say. I did it with a therapist. It depends on. I mean, it doesn't have to. The important thing is, it doesn't have to be done with your sponsor. And if you don't feel comfortable, it can go with a clergyman. But it is so freeing. When I walked out after my first fifth step, I was walking on air. I was walking on air, and I was for the first time in my life I was looking people in the eye, because all of a sudden the insides and the outsides were exactly the same, and they had never. Ever, I had so many secrets. I kept everything so. And no matter what you do, when you keep secrets, you feel bad about yourself, you know, and you just keep feeling worse and worse. And that's what this, you know, we talk about all this stuff of well, we want to learn to love ourselves, and it was so important. But I think it's it comes at the end of this process, not the beginning. As much as we want to talk about being good to ourselves, the fact of the matter is, is that I think it comes as you do the hard work, you know, uh, that this this program teaches. Um, I wanted, it was very hard to be entirely ready to give up all my defects of character. That was the other thing. You know, a, a lot of those were, again, you know, a lot of these character defects, I don't like the phrase character defects. I don't know about you guys. I, it was done at a time and these guys were newly sober and they needed to come up with steps so that's what they came up with. But it, defects of character is in, is in and of itself a pretty judgmental phrase. You know, these were, these were um, survival techniques. They were survival techniques, and in, in some ways they really helped me survive at one point. But at a certain point they stopped working, and they weren't good for me, and they were hurting me, and I knew that they had to get better. But it's so hard, just like it's hard when you come in to give up your substance. You know, when I first came into AA, I, I said to my first sponsor, I'm coming in, I've I got to stop drinking, I have no choice, but I'm going to be miserable until I get the guts to blow my brains out, because I couldn't imagine living life without drinking. And in the same thing when I came in to, to, to get absent, I couldn't imagine doing that, but I, um, I knew I, I needed to do it. With, with giving up your character defects, you, you have to go on the same kind of trust that, that they would, you will be taken care of. If you give these things up, you will be taken care of and it will help you. Um, the humbly asking him to remove those defects. You know, again, it's it's such a hard thing because I, you know, I, I can be very glib and facile about it. Well, I asked God to take care of him. Now I'm still a mess, so I guess God didn't work today. Um, but that I have to meet God halfway, just like it. You know, with this program, there's 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 things to do, and and I can do some of them. And the other thing I got stuck on for a while was the word humility. I heard a great definition when I first came in the program. It said humility is simply having an objective view of where you are in the universe. Not the best, not the worst, just objective. You know. And, and again, I tended to go to both ends of the spectrum. Um, doing the eighth step was another important one. And eighth, hello, 
Do you have a desire to stop eating fossils? <laughs> um, I love that. We have flowers and now I have a bee. Yeah, I've got to get away and measure that pollen. Um, uh, again, the eighth step and the ninth step are two separate things. And my sponsor said, you would, I mean, and, and really important about, about these steps is to read this book for it. Um, I was in another 12-step program for a while for food that was a little bit more rigid and a little more dogmatic and had food plans, and they used those the questions that they have. They have these questions, and from what I understand, these were the Hazelden questions, and they were meant to be adjuncts to the, to the big book. They weren't meant to be done in, in lieu of the big book. Um, and, and by the way, yeah, I would just mention that again, the fourth and fifth step as it's done in the big book with the columns allows you to see your patterns. Whereas if you just answer questions, it's for me that's like the SATs. I'll forget everything right after I've done them. Um, and in here in the eighth and ninth step, it talks about you, you do this and then you talk about it with your sponsor because I nine out of ten of these amends things I had written down, my sponsor went, no, <laughs> you know, don't bother. That's not that's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. Not that there weren't plenty of them that I had to do, but I realized that. And the other thing I, 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 it had came up recently in this Joe and Charlie big book study is amends aren't about making yourself feel better. Amends aren't about assuaging your guilt feelings. Amends are about making amends, true amends. And again, the thing about amends is it wasn't called apologies. You know, it, it's called amends. Amends means changing and amending your ways to not keep doing the same thing. You know, um... Again, I was raised in the dogmatic, the Catholic Church. I don't know. I'm not saying that, but um, you know, we had this thing called confession. You know, otherwise known as the get out of hell free card. Um, and I have friends who are priests who said, you know, it, the whole idea of this confession is that you're supposed to do that and want to change and not do it again, and then you're forgiven. But not if you you do think, okay, that's it. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to just go right back to doing the same thing. So it's about making amends and changing the stuff. Um, Moving on to the you know the tenth step you know uh, you know the idea of doing a daily tenth step and, and making that was the step I got earliest and I got the best I hated being wrong when I came here I would go to any lengths to sort of somehow say I it wasn't my fault and here's why and I had this incredibly convoluted logic so as I was right what a relief to be able to just go I messed up I am so, I'm wrong I'm sorry and you're done with it and it's wonderful. Um, but as I said to a sponsor a couple of years ago, I'm really good at, at, at this 10th step, but I really would like to stop to have doing it so much. You know, um, the, the new updated thing that I think it should be is restrain a pen, tongue, and send button. <laughs> because I have had so many times, mean, and I've gotten much better about that, uh, about the idea of you know, restrain a pen and tongue, saying things out of emotion, you know, one of the things I do now is if I, I'll write, you know, there's a story, I don't know if you've heard about this, my favorite president was Harry Truman, and he used to write, when he was mad, he would write letters to these people that he didn't, he was mad at, and he'd write these excoriating letters, and then he'd put them in his drawer, and he wouldn't mail them. And then, you know, when they took the, they took the desk to the Truman Library, they find these letters, you son of a, you know, <laughs> and they're actually on display now, but it's a wonderful way to go that... If I feel a certain way, maybe it'll help me vent to write it out, but I don't send it. And part of it is I say, if it's really a good idea, it'll be a good idea when I've slept on it and I've had a chance to talk to a sponsor about it or somebody else. And that's helped so much. Um, the 11th step, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with a higher power, praying only for knowledge of His will, 
the power and is empowered to carry it out. For me, I heard I heard somebody say once the most important word in that all the steps is the word only in the eleventh step, praying only for knowledge of His will for us. Again, my my desire to have a laundry list of what I think should be done again presupposes I really I know what's best for everybody, and again. I go to another 12-step program for that, <laughs> you know, because I think I know what everybody should be doing all the time, and if everybody just did, God help us. Um, I, when it comes to prayer, you know, and it talks very definitely in the big book about things to do, like prayer and meditation in the morning, and I wish I could say I did that better, but I, I, I had a, my, my latest AA sponsor said once, look, just get up in the morning and don't turn on the TV, don't turn on the radio, Make a cup of coffee and just sit and stare out the window. And he says, and that is the start. You know, then maybe pick up one of the readings in the morning. But take a little time. Don't hit the ground like you've been thrown out of a car. You know what I mean? Where you just all you're trying to do is just stand up all day. And I did that a lot in life. Now I get up and I can say, okay, let's start. And then I'm in a much better place. Um, and then at night when we retire, to think about, you know, I could have done that better. I owe that person an amends. Yeah, that could have been better. And uh, I do. And in the 12th step, I remember uh, another old sponsor, I can't think he sponsored pithy things that just like latch in your brain and they're there forever. He said the most misspoken thing in the 12 steps is many people will misspeak the 12th step. It's having had a result as the result of these steps. And he said, he says, now you may think that's just annoying little whatever, but it isn't. It's, it's, there is one result from which all else flows, and that is having a spiritual awakening and starting to get better. And I realize it's really true. Um, one of the great things that's happened to me as a result of all this is, and, and is I am so much more out of myself. I, I used to be so... Everything was as it had to do with me. Somebody had cancer, told me they had cancer. Oh, how's that going to uh, affect when I go to see them? You know, I mean, just that kind of, I don't mean to make light of it, but you know, that's the kind of way I would be. It's all about me. And, and the great thing that's happened is that's changed a little. I was saying to somebody recently, I said, if you think about the promises, in a lot of ways they're slightly narcissistic because it's all about, what am I going to get? <laughs> you know? But the real promise comes later when you go, I don't care. I know I'm doing good, I'm doing things, and I'm helping others, you know? It, when I first came, one of the things you hear in AA is trust God, clean house, help another alcoholic. Those are the, sort of the shorthand for the whole program. And by helping one, you get so much more. I make I make my sponsees after 60 days. You're sponsoring. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not ready. I've never had a sponsor yet who says, oh yeah, I'm ready to sponsor. When can I start? They all don't want you know. And I said, look, I'm not saying you're there. I'm not saying you're in any particular step. But you can at least talk to people about the food. And you got a question, you come to me. You know, and if and if if, uh, if you don't, if I don't have an answer, I'll go to my sponsor, and he'll go to his sponsor, and he'll go, and he goes up to some uh, to a lady who's like a forty some odd years in program. We will have an answer, you know. Um, this is a great. I've got. I have some of these. I brought these along. This is a pamphlet put out by AA. It's called the Members Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. It's written by a guy named Alan M. From he's actually from Los Angeles. And what it is, is it's just a, a different way to talk about the program. The 12 and 12 and the big book are great, but they tend to be a little archaic in how they talk. And this was written, this guy was a therapist, and he was a, um, 
Uh, he was giving a, a talk to people who were going to become uh, substance abuse counselors. And he talked about things in a way that really helped me. And I wanted to read a couple of these things to you. And again, I have these here. I only ask that if you're going to take it, you promise, you promise me you'll read it. Because it's really, it's really worth having. Um, I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I'll just keep talking until they tell me to stop. Um, but I want to read you some stuff that has really helped me. Um, uh, it says... Um, AA treats the symptom first. I'm going to just talk in AA, not OA. It may come as a surprise to some that when the idea was fa- fairly revolutionary, Alcoholics consistent, uh, Anonymous consistently emphasized the conviction that alcohol was, to use its own phrase, a symptom of deeper problems. However, AA also believes that the cleverest diagnosis of these problems is of little benefit if the patient dies. <laughs> I love this next line. Autopsies do not benefit the person on whom it is performed. <laughs> sometimes sooner, sometimes later, AA seems to get over to its neophytes that total abstinence, and that's the word they use here, is the name of the game. In AA, the cart still does come before the horse. The first step is still the first step. No newcomer is ever left with any real doubt that recovery can only begin by staying away from the first drink or the first bite. I can't do a four-step if I'm stuffing my face, in my opinion. Uh, I can maybe get some relief, and maybe it'll help me move on, but the real is to hold it down and, and to work with people. And sometimes it's tough, but it's really important. The other thing it says here is there's a widely held belief in AA that if a newcomer will simply continue to attend meetings, that, quote, something will rub off on you, unquote. The implication, of course, is that the something that rubs off will be the so-called miracle of AA. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that many people accept this statement quite literally. I've observed them over the years, faithfully attending meetings, faithfully waiting for something to rub off. The funny thing is, something is rubbing off, death. They sit there week after month after year while mental, spiritual, and physical rigor mortis slowly sets in. I believe the real miracle of AA, the something that will rub off, we hope, is simply the alcoholic's willingness to act. You know, I've been around for a long time and I've watched people come around and, you know, that's it, I'm waiting, you know, and, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing. I've talked to people about this. I said, you know, one thing you hear in, in OA and you hear it in the other food programs is the mantra, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. You know what they say, Nate? There's the door. Go out. Go out, do whatever you need to to come back willing to go to any lengths. And then guess what? There is a solution. Uh, it's not that I'm recommending that, and obviously you have to be here to get the program, but I think sometimes people think that they're getting something by just coming through the door, that somehow they're, they're you know, maybe it would be better to go out. I don't know about this. I'm no, I'm no, I'm no expert on it. Um, this is my big book. I've had this since I got sober. I have the Don't Panic on the front, which is, uh, anybody who knows the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this is my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, the thing that is such the nexus for me in this disease is, is the, the chapter three, more about alcoholism. And I won't read the whole thing, but it is the great, uh, it's the idea that somehow he will control and enjoy his eating is the obsession of every abnormal eater. You know, that was me. You know, I, I understood really early on that I couldn't drink anymore, no problem, but I have constantly run into that wall. I've played games with my foods, you know. 
I joke about that, you know, a lot of people in program, and I'm one of them, have those red light, green light, yellow light foods. And I always joke, I say, I know what my red light foods are. I know what my green light foods are. And 95% of my yellow light foods are foods, red light foods I'm not admit, willing to admit to myself yet. And I keep dancing with the devil on it. And if I want to, I can keep doing that forever. But I don't want that. I want the, the gifts. It's, for me, it's not just about not eating and being a reasonably normal weight. It's about wanting the head to stop. You know, and I want food to be in a normal place in its life in my head. It's never, I'm never going to be able to eat like a normal person. And I need to lose that only because I drive myself crazy with it. And, and so, the, just the last thing about all this is that this, you know, like it says in the big book, you know, I, I, I don't think I've said anything here original. This is all stuff I learn and I, I just sort of bring it back to the, you know, it's all in the big book and I have never read anything in here that's a lie. You know, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. And, and if I understand that, it, it's the key. And all of these tools, you know, I do the things that I think the tools help you get abstinent and help you, you pull it together. You know, meetings are great, telephone calls are great, the fellowship is great. But as I heard somebody say one time, this is a 12-step program. It's not a three-meal program. It's not a four ounces of protein program. It's not a no-sugar program. It's not a three-meals-a-week program. It's a 12-step program. And that the way you make the real change is to deal with this stuff and to do it and do it with somebody else. I can't do it myself. It has to be somebody you trust and you can, you can believe can help. But the benefits are enormous. But it's like anything else. If, if I choose the easier, softer way on recovery, I'm going to get the easier, softer recovery and if I'm willing to work through this stuff, I've gone through a divorce abstinently. I, a couple of years ago on Christmas Day, I got hit by a car. I mean, I, I didn't get hit by... I, I, I had a car cut in front of me, and I managed to miss this guy and wrecked my car, and he drove off. And i got to tell you, that would have been good for six months' anger a couple of years ago. And I just looked at my... Oh, that stinks. <laughs> it's kind of mess. <laughs> and I drove home, and I went and did everything I had to. I had to go have it. You get a rental car. I had to get the car towed. I had to do this. I had to do that. And I kept waiting for the anger, and it never came. And I kept going, okay, this is weird. What's going on? <laughs> you know, my sponsor kept John, maybe, you know, maybe the program's working. You know, could happen. And, and it did. And the funny part is that I would have had to do everything I had to do after the accident. I would have had to do anyway. But I would have done it with a knot in my stomach. And that's, you know... I know now, all, I, I, I tell my sponsors all the time, the program stuff is real. I tend to need to turn the goody-goody stuff around. <laughs> I have trouble with the goody-goody stuff. Someday I'd love to be Gandhi and say, you do this for this. I need to say, well, for me, if I, hold, hold, I don't hold on to anger, I'm the one without the knot in my stomach. If I hold on to the anger, I can. You know, let me hold on to it as long as I want, but I'm the one who walks around with a knot in my stomach. And I'm the one, long after that guy cut me off on the freeway, he's forgotten about me, and I'm sitting there, and I, I've just done that for years. And it's the amazing thing. It's all in the book of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and in the 12 and 12, and in the readings, and and I just, I, I, I love this program. And I do, I do, by the way, I'll just make one little plug before I leave. I work with the intergroup in L.A., and I, I don't know how many people know, but we have speakers up online. We have 66 speakers as of today that you can listen to for free. They're downloadable. You can put them on your iPod. And the average amount of time in the, on that list is 24 and a half years in program. And it's a wonderful resource. It's uh, www.oalaig, as in intergroup.org. 
And uh, it's wonderful. If you don't know about it, feel free to go there because it's, it's my little pet project. And, uh, Can you say it one more time? Sure. www.oalaig.org. O-R-G. And you'll see this, uh, there's a speakers page and there's all these speakers and you can either listen to them right at the spot or you can download them and it's, I don't know, 66 times about 40 minutes worth each. There's a lot, a lot of recovery there. Um, I want to thank again Alex for letting me share and I hope I was able to uh, tell you something. Thank you. <laughs>